Welcome to the Legit Lady Podcast, where we feature women who are nailing it in life. Hey, Legit Lady listeners, this is your host, Julie Fetterman. Thank you so much for tuning in to the podcast, where we feature impressive women to inspire the world. I really appreciate all the support that we've been getting over the past few weeks and months. It's been an awesome ride so far here with the podcast, and I've really loved all the feedback that I've been hearing from a bunch of the episodes that we have been airing. Uh, Please feel free, keep sending me feedback either on social media, but if you want to go more direct, feel free to send us an email to legitladypodcast at gmail.com. And I have to say, one of my favorite things that's been coming up has actually been uh, people making suggestions of other legit ladies to have on the podcast. So people even writing me saying, hey, I know someone who has a great story who should be told. Would you be open to having her on as a guest? And just opening up conversations, making connections and things like that, which is a huge reason why I set out to do this in the first place. So please keep them coming. I can't always say yes to absolutely every single request, but I'll certainly read and respond to every single one I get. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All righty. So like every podcast episode, we're going to do reviews. And this week I'm going to head on over to iTunes and read a review that catches my eye. And let's read this one here. Starts with Julie, it's catching my attention already. So it says, Julie is a smart, thoughtful, and authentic person. Her series is a reflection of those traits and she does a wonderful job with her excellent roster of guests. The podcast features topics that are not only informative, but also incredibly interesting. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is awesome. I really appreciate this. Uh, really, your kind words and your reviews really touch me. They really do. And they also help boost the algorithm, which helps us be noticed by more people on podcasting networks and platforms like iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, etc. So I really appreciate it. Please, if it's not too much to ask, spend 30 seconds, write a quick review on any of those platforms, and it'll really help. It's a great way to support the podcast for free and something that I really want to keep uh, asking each and every single one of you who haven't had the opportunity to do so to help us out with. And thanks so much for those of you who have already donated to keep the podcast going. If that's something that makes sense for you, if you have a couple of bucks to spare to help uh, help boost what we're doing here on the Legit Lady podcast, a really great way to do that is to take me out for a virtual coffee. Now, what's a virtual coffee? That sounds really interesting. Virtual coffee is a great way. It's like an online tip jar, a great way to be able to help support the podcast financially if you happen to have $3 or so. And that's like $3 Canadian. So especially for those of you listening in the States, that is a deal. (laughs) And uh, the way to do that is to go to 
ko-fi.com. So it's sort of like a play on coffee, but it's ko-fi.com slash legitladypodcast. ko-fi.com slash legitladypodcast because podcasting is not free, unfortunately. And so it's a great way to keep us going and motivated to keep sharing these incredible stories from these amazing legit ladies for many more months and who knows, hopefully years to come. Okie dokie. This week's guest. I am so happy to have had her on as a wonderful interviewee. This week's guest has a career path that many of us might turn our nose up towards even many of us who consider ourselves, say, feminist or pro-women, because it's a little bit less conventional than some of the other careers that we've already had on the podcast. But this is a woman whom I've had the pleasure of knowing for well over a decade. I've seen her kick ass, take names, and do all sorts of incredible things as her role as the head of Canada's longest-running burlesque troupe. So not only is she been performing and dazzling people across stages all over the nation, but she's actually also a sex worker. And what I really admire about her, and especially social media has become a very central part of how we live, is she has been so vocal about her day-to-day work as a sex worker, because ultimately, as she goes into in a lot of detail, it's just another service job, and it's a necessary service job. And so her role as being a very vocal advocate for sex workers and sex worker rights has done a lot to help destigmatize and normalize that as a career. So not only is she a successful business owner, she's a sex worker, she's an incredible force to be reckoned with, a wonderful, inspiring woman. Please give a warm welcome to Contessa Sintra, aka Tanya Cheeks. Tanya, That's so nice to have you. Nice, so nice to see to you, have Julie. You. Cheers. Cheers. We are drinking Forty Creek tonight. Why not? It's a school night. <laughs> after all, um, it is so nice to have you here. And honestly, you are a person I've admired for years in the work that you've done, and really excited to explore some of the areas that you know so much about. And you know how this works. We go through 10 main questions and plenty of other questions thrown in. But before we start, I know you have multiple names. What names would you like me to call you for the sake of this podcast? I think the probably for the sake of brevity, probably stick with Tanya Cheeks. <laughs> Tanya Cheeks. Okay, sounds good. Because you have other names, right? I have my working name. Okay. Which is Contessa Sintra. Awesome. Yeah. Where did that come from? Um... Well, everyone uses the title mistress. It's very, you know, if, if you're a dominatrix, mistress is usually the the most popular Marquesa. But mistress or is usually the most popular. And, and I wanted to sort of differentiate myself between other mistresses. And I like alliteration. So I thought Contessa Centra. So that's where the name came from. That's so and, cool. And, and it's all C's where, you know, obviously phonetically it sounds like S-I-N. 
but I didn't want it to be so obvious. So that's where the name came from. Oh, that's so cheeky. I like it. <laughs> A wordsmith. Very nice. Cool. Okay, well, let's kick things off with question one, which is what advice would you give to your teenage self? Um, I, I probably I'd give the, uh, the advice I would probably give is like save your money because um, I started doing sex work at, at 19. So mm. I guess I was still con- like, would be considered <clears throat> like almost a teen, like getting out of teenage years. So I would say save your money because, you know, it's not going to be the 90s forever. And you're not going to make that kind of money. So <laughs> save your money and invest because <laughs> 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 you'll never make that kind of money again. <laughs> That's fair. And and what got you into sex work at 19? Um, I always sort of had a leaning towards it at a, at a really young age. I guess probably predominantly through film, sort of like the, you know, the dark lady, the like, you know, mm-hmm. the like lady at the bar. I don't know. I had this sort of glamorized version of sex work and I'd say predominantly stripping. Mm-hmm. And um you know, it's basically for certain films that kind of like made me lean that way. I'd say like maybe several some old Hollywood films where I guess like the character wasn't like blatantly outed as being a working girl. But it, if you read between the lines, you would kind of see it that way. Like, for example, like Breakfast at Tiffany's, um, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, and maybe the more obvious things like clute or like body double and stuff like that mm-hmm. so you saw working girls as people who had tremendous power and yeah, strength I, I admired yeah. their sort of like their gumption and their style where maybe they were looked down upon by like society <laughs> right that's fabulous and have you been working consistently since the age of 19 i took a few like sort of um semi-retirements but yeah i have been <laughs> Oh, wow. That's awesome. And this is something that you enjoy doing? Um, yeah, it's it's better than most. Like This is the thing. It is actually better than most other service because it is a service job. Mm-hmm. And I find it a little bit more, much more, actually much more independent than other service related jobs, whether it be working in a bar or like retail. Right. Yeah. I don't think people sort of see it that way, but that's how I do. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I know you seek to normalize sex work. Mm-hmm. You're very it's part vocal. of my agenda. Yeah. That's just a normal job that it's something that um, people need to have. Like it is a very important service that sort of um, alleviates a lot of stress for some people. Right. And generally speaking, like your clientele, the stereotype is, and I'm sure you obviously know this, the stereotype is that people who see you are people who are doing something potentially seedy. It's people who might be married. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, this very cartoonish-esque view. Yeah, it's usually something that's sort of considered, you know, behind closed doors. And there's like the, the right. old stereotype of where it would be like um, white and, you know, white collar male, mm-hmm. middle-aged is kind of the stereotype, which is is increasingly kind of like changing mm-hmm. as like, you know, people are coming more open to this type of service, which I'm really glad to see. <laughs> yeah, which is really awesome. And you, know, you tend to share little snippets of your world. Mm-hmm. Can you share a couple examples of how you've made a positive impact in a life? You, know, you don't have to share their name or anything, but um, I'll just try to think of something to top of my yeah. head. Yeah, um, quit. I mean, it's 
I'm going to try to like say some of these things without trying to be politically incorrect. Um, I mean, you can say whatever you want on this podcast. It's fine. um, Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's often that sometimes um, certain men maybe in like, you know, going towards an arranged marriage or something like that, or like a marriage of convenience of some sort. And maybe they haven't had much experience with women. Maybe it's just like stuff that they've like, maybe they, in some cases are not even, you know, it's to go on the internet. It's completely like looked down upon in some societies. I mean, it still is kind of like taboo anywhere, but mm-hmm. some in some cultures it's even more so, and things are more so like more narrow and you know less information sheltered, perhaps. I don't know. So sometimes, like people come, like gentlemen come to see me that have no sexual experience and at all. Mm. And they want to know some things that they can like, you know, either attribute to their their real their real day to day life or whatever, or their real relationship. So I have deflowered. Wow, <laughs> a few. That's <laughs> so there's, incredible. There's that. And then some <laughs> things are like sometimes there's trauma too. Like some people are working through some trauma and want to you know they have had very bad sexual experiences. They might have been sexually abused. I be it a family member or a family friend and and want to be in an environment where they feel safe that they're not going to be judged mm-hmm. and they are afraid to like engage in any like outside sexual activity they also may have like sexual dysfunction because of these traumas and are afraid to be judged or are mostly afraid of failure where are in this environment my environment I'm not going to judge them in that mm-hmm. way mm-hmm. so that also happens Mm, that's really good to know. And I mean, yes, you're a sex worker. You're also a dom. Mm-hmm. Um, do you play different roles depending on what that client wants? Or do you work at different areas or different spots and take on different roles? Yeah, like it's sometimes it's usually like I try to like craft something for the client. Sometimes it's like I'd say like just for my regular day to day thing because I own and operate um, and work in what is known as a massage parlor, like or a rub and tug or body rub or whatever, mm-hmm. holistic. There's many different names. We are licensed. Some of the clients are just coming in for the touch, the massage, mm-hmm. you know, um, body slide as we call it, which is just like a, basically a horizontal lap dance. And what the release. I'm trying to picture that. <laughs> yeah, it's just basically it's like nude contact massage. You're using parts oh. of your body to massage the client. So sounds it, nice, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of like just the general thing that's going on, and it's just people that are either like in unhappy relationships or just looking for human contact. So that's kind of like the baseline of what I do. But then there's like because I've been a dom for years, I specialize in sort of areas of fetish and role play. So people like I they usually give me some information, and I try to work with that. And I guess ha- having a theater background like helps because <laughs> I do a lot of like sort of because you have to kind of be quick on your feet about like what, you know, having a little you know improvised script in your head and try to make it interesting and not sort of stagnant, whether they're booking for a half an hour or like two hours or more. Can you give us an example of, uh, you know, any of the themes of these types of scripts? Yeah, um, there's like it's there's a lot of different things like there's it can be like sort of like a a kidnapping scene perhaps mm-hmm. like in a kidnapping interrogation 
um, type scene where you might not be using a lot of like the fancier implements you associate with like um, BDSM. You might be just using a few, like a lot of verbal mm-hmm. and very simple things because you wouldn't find like extravagant, you know, yeah. corporal implement in like <laughs> in a, an actual yeah, in kidnapping. A, in a, yeah, in a kidnapping <laughs> scene. So that's kind of like an extreme version. Huh. But sometimes people are working through sort of like trauma that they might have had with a parent. So you might be taking on a like the, um, the role of maybe a parent or, you know, a cousin or something like that. And sort of trends, treads into sort of like somewhat incestuous uh, scenarios. But you hope that this is just something they're working through. And this is just, I like to think that they're, this is the release and this is what's helping them as opposed to acting out on certain like bad behaviors. Mm-hmm. It was interesting you say that we've actually had another guest on the podcast who was formerly a dominatrix um, a bit earlier in her lifetime. Mm-hmm. And now she's a, like a life coach. Right. And They're very similar. It's, it's true. And she was saying that a big part of the therapy that she does with um, primarily women who have suffered sexual abuse is in that role play. But very explicitly changing the ending mm-hmm. of that particular scene yeah. that's playing out. So uh, it's very cool to see that as a common thread. Mm-hmm. It is good. Another thing that I also dealt have dealt with on a regular basis is is um, clients that are on the spectrum, and I they I believe I haven't been told outright, but I kind of feel that maybe a um, a counselor or caseworker or what or whatnot has referred. Um, us to them because maybe like they're highly sexualized and not they don't have a, a proper outlet so that's occurred as well on a regular actually have a few regular clients that fall under that sort of category that's very interesting and you seem very experienced by virtue of the time that you've spent doing this profession um, is this something that you actively train peers on or there is an education outlet to be trained upon because that seems like a really great uh, use case mm-hmm. for sex work. Um, but I, I could see that a lot of people who've never had exposure to that, this could sometimes go terribly wrong, potentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but um, when uh, like such clients are coming by and they're not actually seeing me, I sort of debrief my staff like about their sort of peculiarities or things you know, not to be alarmed, like that you're, that cause obviously like it's very important for um, my staff also to feel safe, right? Mm-hmm. So just like sort of debrief them on like the certain things that the things that they may do or say, like not to be alarmed. Cause they're not, like they, they're, they're not going to hurt you, but they just do things that are maybe uh, a little more forthright, like no filter perhaps mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. maybe like, you know, someone that does is not falling into the spectrum. Sure. Like a lack of impulse yeah, control. Yeah, there's also, or... and, and boundaries, there's always mm-hmm. like a boundary issue with any like, any like scenario. It's like what everyone is comfortable with, not just the client, but also the worker too. Mm-hmm. No, that's actually really important. It raises an interesting question is how you mentioned that you, it seems like you manage staff at this particular location. Um, how do you maintain a level of safety considering it seems like people will will walk in, they'll book appointments, and then what happens after that is closed door. Mm-hmm. How does that safety be maintained? 
Well, there is ob- the obvious, like, th- there's cameras. Like, okay. not in the rooms, but there is cameras, like, you know, in the hall mm-hmm. and then the stairway, you know, like, the doorway and whatnot. Mm. Um, nothing, like, honestly, in my whole, like, very long career, very few things have happened that are, like, alarming. Touch wood. Touch wood. Like, it's usually... And I think it's because that they're already in a vulnerable position coming there that their sort of guard is down. Like usually you can sort of diffuse this situation pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, like if something is uncomfortable, it's just like you tell them to leave and and they're naked. Like, so they feel vulnerable already. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, you don't get your clothes back. Yeah, I don't like leave. dealing with people under the influence of any substance. Do you um, turn people down? Yeah, do if I think mm-hmm. they're too like inebriated. In, in also, our business hours are are like generally eleven to nine, so we're not dealing with people mm. usually that are like intoxicated. But it does happen. You kind of have to gauge: is this just kind of like a little bit of you know happy drunk, or is this like uh, maybe it, go home and go to sleep it off drunk? Yeah, <laughs> <You know? laughs> there's that spectrum, yeah, right? <laughs> No, that's fair. That's understandable. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and before we go back to our official questions, just to wrap up on the advice you would give to your teenage self, uh, have you started saving money? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and this round, because I was semi-retired. For, I, I'm back working for, um, I think it's going on four years, but I was semi-retired for about 10. And so in this, I got myself out of debt. Um, going back to work and now I'm like looking into buying property. So I probably could have done that way long ago, but I was way more interested in buying fancy clothes and partying. <laughs> I mean, as you do, right? as you do. I was going to say semi-retirement for but 10 I was just years. Like, I tell my staff, I'm like, it's not always going to be this good. Like, you know, it's like save it when it's busy. Like, and you know, and even I, you know, I had a great week. And I'm like, oh, what's on the internet now? <laughs> what can I buy? <laughs> but you do have to learn how to manage your, ma- because you are acting like, basically you're a contractor. You're like, you're working for yourself in this business. Even if you're working in an establishment like mine, you're still kind of an independent contractor. And you have to learn that it's going to be like, like last week was the worst week, you know, we had this year. Mm. Usually it comes a little earlier around January, but this one for some reason was the worst. Just go in to save your money. You have to learn all those skills, like because it's not going to be there maybe next week, mm-hmm. or maybe all your regulars decided to like come in around the same couple days, which seems to happen all the time, <laughs> and then they're not there next week. <laughs> right. So yeah, money management is very important. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you guys are you guys are entrepreneurs mm-hmm. effectively. Yeah. So no, that makes sense. Well, we had a fantastic financial advisor on the podcast, and uh, you know, would would make sense for people who are looking to invest their money well to mm-hmm. to you know do such things right. which is great well one of my clients is actually like my accountant oh nice <laughs> do you have like a bartering yeah, system we have a bar perfect system. oh that's convenient it works right? out <laughs> and he's like used to working with sex workers so he knows how to find the little like ways to sort of tweak things you know mm-hmm. oh that's great yeah. that's actually a fantastic resource mm-hmm. amazing cool well let's move on to question two mm-hmm. which is what's your proudest accomplishment in in the realm of sex work, it could be in life, anything. Um, wow. I mean, if you have one in sex work, sure, why not? But <laughs> I think it's like being like a business owner, like you know that I have like two locations that I've been managed to run for four years. It's 
know that I'm pretty proud of that and and that my staff to this my, my staff turnover is very minimal which is really unusual in this business and I like to think that they like working there so I'm like happy that we don't have that problem like a lot of other places do what makes a reputable or great place to work at well I think like I said before like it's like recognizing boundaries and and that everyone's especially in sex work everyone's boundaries are different and not to put pressure on people that may not have the same level of restrictions as the next person. Mm-hmm. So everyone feels comfortable and those feel like they're competing, sort of like taking down the level of competition mm-hmm. and not make them feel like that they're that way because that's where things can get really nasty. And I've seen it working at other places that weren't my own where it can be really like nasty and all those like sort of um, viciousness or comes into play, you know, like where like theft you know petty jealousies fighting like Mm. actual physical fighting wow things like that why is that just because it's client-based work or well it's just that there is like and also there you know there could be like drug use involved and also i have like a zero um tolerance for people that work there that have are working for a pimp or a boyfriend oh which is common in this business that sounds very complicated yeah it can be messy, so we don't have any of that going on. Got it. If it happens, it, we has to like that. We have to. I have to get rid of it. So, in cases where that has happened, like at other establishments, mm-hmm. so there's uh, someone who's working on behalf of, say, a boyfriend or a pimp, and right. meaning they have to give a percentage of their earnings to them, if not all of it. Really? Yeah, and so then they will be very like feel very pressured to see a meet you know meet a quota which can cause a lot of conflict because mm-hmm. there's a, the, one of the main problems with my business and working in a style like a bricks and mortar type uh place is that it's, po- it's poaching that's the thing like you know if you're trying to like like we have these like introductions so you go the client comes in if they don't say that they want to see something in particular um, everyone goes and introduces it's like a go see kind of thing and they introduce themselves quickly and then they go back into the room and I might go out and say like who did you want to see whatever but if they're spending too much time talking to that client and maybe like you know kind of oh like I'll do this for you for x amount of dollars and you know it's kind of like pushing every you know stepping over everybody to push yourself ahead that causes a lot of like conflict yeah, I can imagine. Mm-hmm. And so do you just step in and, and be I like, just, yeah, that's, like that's you not were cool. Spe- you were spending too much time talking to them. Just make it quick. I'll deal with the negotiations for you. That way everyone and you know has a chance and to save some. And also a lot of places don't do this, but we do this. If someone's having a good day, like say they were seeing like maybe three or four clients right in a row and maybe other people are not having such a good day, we ask that they like step um, aside for the next round of introductions. And let other people sort of catch up. Like, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So that's not something that is practiced in a lot of places. That's very but obviously. If a client comes in and says they want to see something specifically, yeah, you're not gonna be like, no. Yeah, no, I'm not gonna <laughs> say no. But if it's someone that's having a bad day, like, or I'll just say, for example, like I won't do the go see at all. I'll say, oh, I have someone that's really great for you. Um, just get comfortable, and she'll be in with you. Like that way, they're they don't have a choice <laughs> yeah so it just makes it fair and then there's no one's like disgruntled exactly mm-hmm. you keep everyone happy yeah. which and is why the staff stays <laughs> yeah no they, they know that you're looking out right. for it's them a, it's a team not a like you know not sort of against one you know against each other which 
I've yeah. experienced like firsthand in lots of other places I've worked in. I can imagine. I had no idea that you actually own the businesses. Mm-hmm. The two, yeah. That's incredible. That is I'm a great accomplishment. Yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. And so what inspired you to get into ownership? I had no interest. I mean, I had owned my own, I owned my own d- dungeon a number of years ago. For five years, I had my own dungeon. Um, and it would be, the I'd say, the late 90s. Was that uh, with Terry Jean Bedford? No. Or? Um, that was before. Oh, really? Yeah. And then cool. I went. Cool. And it was just one of those situations where we're kind of like, I felt like I was spending too much money on like, advertising was very expensive and not so accessible back then. Mm. So I felt like I was spending all this money on rent and advertising and I wasn't really getting ahead. And then I had two other partners and, you know, things, personality conflicts. So I like, we folded that after five years. I worked for Terry Jean for a number of years. Patricia Marsh mm-hmm. uh, went independent, stopped kind of doing it when I was in a long-term relationship. Right. And then um, I got headhunted. I, so I had a good reputation and that's how I ended up. So it was kind of like sweat equity. <laughs> that's awesome. That's how that happened. I mean, that says a lot about your character and integrity if you get headhunted to be able mm-hmm. to actually Especially run. business. <laughs> yes. Weird. <laughs> no, that's super but cool. It worked. So I was just I was just an attendant. And then eventually I was a manager and eventually a position like one of the partners like left and then I was asked to like become one of the partners. So that's how it happened. That's so cool. Amazing. Yeah. Look at you, <laughs> entrepreneur. And um, you, you mentioned relationships. Um, I can imagine that uh, some partners would be perhaps less understanding mm-hmm. of this line of work. Um, have you felt that in your own personal romantic relationships or see your peers deal with any conflict around that type of thing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, for better or worse, like at this point in my life, um, it's kind of like if you have to accept it or it's a no-go, like we can't even move further from the beginning. So at this point, it's very much on the table. Mm-hmm. I've had people that um, dated and they were cool with it at first. And then as time went on, they weren't. That's happened too. That's um, annoying. You're like, I thought you were cool. Oh. <laughs> and, they might use, and then when you're breaking up, they might use it against you. That happens too. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's like annoying. they think you're out, they're outing you. Like they're kind of like, um, no, you're not. It's on the internet. <laughs> like, yeah. I would speak about it daily. <laughs> like my parents know. Yeah. My immediate, like my whole family knows. So it's good luck with outing me to I don't know who. Yeah. <laughs> you know? No, and, and I love the way you, you phrased it. It was just so matter of fact. It's like this is a service. It's a necessary mm-hmm. service to provide. And you simply want to be able to provide this service mm-hmm. in a way that's safe and dignified yeah and it gives me a lot of downtime like you know in between um calls to like do my other stuff like pr- you know promote my burlesque shows or whatnot or write mm-hmm. or like you know we also have like a um a t-shirt co- printing company that we run out of the spa so like cool and all the downtime like i there's lots of time to fill up with other things so if you're a student or whatnot it's also another good job That's awesome. I'm definitely going to get back to a few of those other things you mentioned. But I do want to move to question three, which Mm -hmm. is, I mean, you sort of have to answer this, but uh, question three is how do you balance work and life? It seems like Mm -hmm. you have some flexibility in there to do both, but. Yeah, I have the flexibility as far as like downtime and as far as like going back to relationships. um, 
the person has to be very and i'm very like in my mentally like divided like with this about what's actually romantic and what's actually work and i sometimes joke and go like that was fake sex i want re- <laughs> i want real sex <laughs> you know like that was like totally different and it's totally a different mental it doesn't ma- i mean other than being tired like any other job coming home tired because you were busy it's still not the same kind of like even though it might be a very intimate and personal scenario you're doing with your client it still isn't your relationship it's very divided mentally like you know i, I have a clear division in my head one does not feel like the other mm-hmm. at all mm-hmm. so there's that right and, and if someone if a partner can understand that that you're still desire like that you're still desire them mm-hmm. after you saw like x amount of people like it's so we always say like you know sometimes people come in and they turn us all down we're not always what you're looking for even like you know you might have a mix of girls different types whatever um you're dealing with rejection but we always make these jokes it's like we're not into you at all <laughs> <laughs> and we never were <laughs> you know like it's really rare for you to feel that kind of thing, like maybe a spark with a client. It does happen. I won't like say it doesn't happen, but it's very rare that you feel that type of like sort of like real passion or spark or whatever you want to call it. it doesn't happen very much. It's like it's probably a 10% or, like, <laughs> <laughs> or less even. I can imagine. Yeah. And what we, we always like joke too about what we like in a client physically is not necessarily what we like look for when we're like dating or a partner. Oh, really? That's interesting. Um, Do you recall a client that you've seen that's been particularly memorable where you did experience that spark? Yeah, a few hockey players. Oh, yeah? (laughs) Really? Like big name? Yeah. Oh, shit. That to your imagination. (laughs) That's awesome. They're the lucky ones. (laughs) It's like, what are you doing here? (laughs) You're like, I'm not complaining. This Mm -mm. makes my life a bit easier. Yeah. But sometimes it's funny, too, as you also say, if you actually have that sort of like physical attraction to them, it might make your job a little more difficult. Like I have really? a few girls that are like I don't want to see any hot guys at all. Why? <laughs> Give me the old ones. <laughs> I'm more comfortable with them. <laughs> oh, yeah, like less intimidating. Yeah, they or... just don't like they can keep it professional. They don't. They don't. Their mind doesn't stray off. Like, no, that's fair. Yeah, like I have one, um, I have one uh, staff member who she used to work in um, palliative care, so she's really great with seniors, and um, she's. They love her and she's very comfortable where maybe some other girls would be like, you know, like we're talking like, you know, wheelchair or like, you know, walker bound. Can't, you know, I actually have a few like uh, clients that have all like early stages of Alzheimer's. Oh, really? Yeah. And she's very good with that. She's very good with making me feel comfortable. She's, you know, tying their shoes and maybe doing things that are a bit more, um, nursely than some of the other girls are comfortable with. <laughs> right. That's so funny. I actually, I had another friend of mine who is also a dom mm-hmm. who would also be a nurse during the day. So she was nurse by day, dom by night. She would do both. Another job that's sort of kind of similar. Yeah. There's lots of, because you do have to be very aware of things, you know, yes. like you have to sort of monitor what, especially with the, like, you know, with BDSM, you really have to monitor 
what's going on when that person, whether they be tied up or whether they're being like, is there some corporal discipline or maybe something a bit more, you know, extreme because medical play falls into the spectrum of BDSM play. You do have to be very aware mm-hmm. of what your client's going through. Right. Whether it's actually sort of pain or technique or like subspace kind mm. of thing. It, what does that mean? Like, would you mind is, yeah, defining that for is listeners? Like where um, the client sort of goes off into the realm like where they, the endorphin rush is like so high that they're kind of like in a state of elation. Often happens in corporal and like bondage where they're in a sort of state of elation and they're like very high. Mm. on those endorphins and then you sort of have to like there's a bit of aftercare like so when you've gotten them out of that you kind of have to like i like to talk to them I'm like you know was that okay how'd you feel about that is that what you expected how are you now do you need a moment do you need some water like a little bit of care like maybe mm-hmm. you can't just sort of toss yeah. them out the door and say be on your way <laughs> bye because you know they're kind of in a funny vulnerable state after that mm-hmm. like they really are kind of high on their endorphins and you kind of have to like you know bring them down yeah kind of yeah no it's true i mean it's it's a very physical like you're you're dealing with anatomy your mm-hmm. people's anatomy people's well-being yeah. especially people's I would think- fate and you have to like yeah. also understand you know be ready for that sort of thing oh really when when it doesn't does happen, happen frequently okay. but I've, it has happened to me just you know a little bit of like cpr training doesn't hurt in this business <laughs> yeah geez mm-hmm. yeah i could imagine it especially yeah. given the spectrum of people mm-hmm. who walk in the right. door or if people have like cardiovascular issues right. and stuff like mm-hmm. isn't that a trope in movies like yeah, people who bang and that's how they die right. like <laughs> Anyway, it has to deal with heart conditions, but yeah, no, 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 no calamity. I've had some fainters though. <laughs> good, 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 good. Um, quick question, actually, because you're talking about like the physical nature of of this job. How do you how do you go to work in this type of work when you are just not feeling sexy? You are maybe on your period. You're either in pain, like you're just physically not feeling your best, but you have a job where it is mm-hmm. entirely body related well it's interesting because i suffer from endometriosis oh. um, severely so and i actually found that this job is easier on me than a lot of other jobs because i'm not on my feet all the time because it's you know this it's sort of an increment of like appointments right um that i have a lot of you know downtime that i can sort of not be like i'm not like someone's not running me ragged like if it was retail or like bar work which are the two other things i've done in my past i'm not like expected to be running around like that you do have to like still kind of have to because i feel so lousy i kind of like almost go the opposite i'm like i might be like dying under the makeup (laughs) but i made the effort to like get out the door (laughs) so it's you know it's all much like anything it's smoke and mirrors but i feel like there's a little enough downtime that you can kind of like rest and then go rest and then go yeah yeah it's like I mean, circuit it training. Physic- it's more physically, it, more mentally demanding lots of times than physically demanding, believe it or not. Like, you really? know, with, yeah. And as long as, I mean, this might be TMI, but there's like a lots of little tricks that sex workers do when they're on their period that you can kind of get by. Give us, give us the tricks. Um, well, one of the most common ones is, um, the use of like makeup sponges or like, or sea sponges hmm. to, 
like i mean you, it's something you're gonna have to like still be on even if you know if you're having a bad day <laughs> you know menstrually yeah. but still like you can still do the job some choose to take it off you know and they don't work those couple days but i've sort of figured it out and i can kind of get by makeup I'll, sponges I'll, that's yeah, interesting makeup those little makeup wedge things you know yeah, like yeah. work great <laughs> that's awesome as long as you're like you know comfortable with your body you can get them out properly you know that's fine how about diva cups i can't i personally can't get one like because of my endo and the way that those are made i can't get those things in oh yeah and those are probably would get lodged a little bit more like i'm guessing because i've had because of my early experiences with diva cup was ultimate fail <laughs> <laughs> every time i tried Aww. um i find the sponges are better but mm. you know you're most of the appointments are a half an hour to an hour you're okay yeah and like you know i'm middle age i'm 51 like you know, even though I, my stage age is 36 there, it's just like, it's a sign of youth. The blood, <laughs> it's a little blood in you. You'll be okay. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're good. You're right? good. You're still, so, you haven't hit menopause. You're good. Right. So it's, in some ways, it is an easier job than other jobs if that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. I can imagine. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for sharing. That's actually really helpful. Um, and I know like I'm always thinking of creative solutions for my period. Mm-hmm. So that's great. Yeah. <laughs> do you, actually, before we move on, do you have any other uh, like sex worker tips for anything in general, whether it's like makeup or anything else? Because I feel like you guys have figured stuff out that just um, average people don't know. The f- I can't think about the one thing I can think about at the top of my head is the way we wear our like tights or like fishnets it's funny we um and we might see this in burlesque too but it actually comes from like easy access you like and this is also it's also economic too it actually like saves the life of your like fishnets if you like push them down like you know the ones that are have like the waistband right not a stocking mm-hmm. like the full waist you push them down like under your butt mm-hmm. And then you put your underwear on top of. So then you have the illusion of it being very a very high, like, uppercut stocking. Oh. But it's very accessible and it looks better. And also, like, you don't blow out the crotch. Oh. So it's economic. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it would also, like, kind of, like, lift up the butt, no? Yeah, like, it does. Yeah. So it, like, hugs nice. underneath your butt. I also do this for burlesque, but that's where it came from. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome that's so cool i would never yeah. have thought of that awesome very cool all right moving on to question four can you tell us about a difficult moment in your life um hmm. there's been many difficult moments <laughs> i'm just you trying know, to eeny, think meeny, one <laughs> specifically hmm. uh i think it because i come from like in you know a dance theater background i think like it's trying to to deal with like rejection and body dysmorphia i think like with burlesque and sex work that kind of like it helps like you just kind of realize that you you kind of accept that you're not for everybody that you know you can handle rejection like you not might not be what people are looking for I'm stubborn though, even too. Like, I mean, also like if I think that I I'm not desired, I'm also like we'll try to convince them otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> like you might not have been into that when you walked in the door, but you're going to be by the time you left. And that's also what I've like kind of taken into burlesque too. 
because you know you're constantly being judged like you're constantly being judged by your appearance and that also happens in sex work too and also being like of plus size and older and and not it's funny because my branding is like we call it like Toronto's like number one alt spa so we kind of fall under that sort of suicide girl branding so we're all like not everybody but we are kind of like you know more tattooed or whatnot but i say even like the people that look like the girl next door they really are girl next door they're not like the porn version of girl next door mm-hmm. they really are a student with glasses mm-hmm. and you know and nerdy Right. That's more like our brand. Like that's the other sort of aspect of our branding as opposed to sort of like more punk. So um, we it's like create your own brand and make it good. And then that people will want that. And even if they didn't think about it like initially. So I think right. that's something, an obstacle mm-hmm. that I've tried to like get through through most of my life because mm-hmm. of like being rejected for, I mean, I had a little brief career plus size modeling when I was a teenager. I didn't even want to be a model, but I kind of got thrown into it because my grandma, like I was like taking like dance and theater and my grandmother was concerned about my appearance. And the funny thing is like that she threw me into modeling because she thought it would help me and I ended up excelling at it. I was like top of my class. <laughs> and I was like the only one that got the jobs upon graduation, even though I was just didn't even want to do it. But I right. did learn stuff from it. I enjoyed it. Like I'm once I was in it, I enjoyed what I was doing. I mean, that sounds like a whole lot of acceptance aside from rejection. Mm-hmm. Um, when you mention rejection, and it makes a lot of sense, like with the the type of um, work and experience mm-hmm. and hobbies that you've been involved in, like it seems there's a lot of it. Was there a specific instance of rejection that really cut deep for you or that really gave you pause? Um, when I started, uh, there's, all, there's been a, a lot of little ones. I can't say there's like been really one huge thing there's just like a lot of little ones peppered throughout my life um but i started like stripping too even tattoos weren't popular in stripping and definitely the alt look like you know was not a thing like you kind of had to fall under sort of like this sort of very narrow category like you it was the 80s so you kind of had to look <laughs> like this sort of like heavy metal fantasy <laughs> thing which i had a bit of that but i was more the darker you know i had dyed hair and I had a few tattoos and I was increasingly getting more of those. So I was constantly being, and you know, my weight would fluctuate, you know, even though I was like pretty, like in like too tiny for my size at that time, my weight would still fluctuate. And I get flack from my, my boss all the time of, oh, you look like you put on some weight there, huh? you know, that kind of stuff. And that would kind of stay like, Thanks. like great. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah, there wasn't like a really sort of a body positivity movement at all back then. And you kind of just had to like fit into this little, like, you know, narrow thing. And I think that's just kind of like the little, the thing that's been the whole, my life is trying, you know, this not fitting into this kind of narrow perception of what beauty is. So I wouldn't say there's like a whole one particular thing. It's just kind of like something that I've been trying to change people's attitudes i don't know <laughs> i'm not no, sure that answers that no it, it it does i mean the cool thing that comes from not feeling like you fit a particular box mm-hmm. or category is innovation yeah and to me that's something that i've seen you do time yeah, like and time your again own brand 
100%, but also challenging people's mm-hmm. perception. Like what you said before, you're like, I might not be what you think you might want, but by the end of this, you're going to yeah. be in love with it. <laughs> right? right? <laughs> like, you know, I, I've seen it's you... It's changing people's yeah. perceptions. Ex- exactly. Like you, you've, you head up the longest running burlesque troupe in Canada. Now the world. World. <laughs> the world. Oh my gosh. Wow. 21 years. 21 years. Yeah. Wow. Um, skin tight out of sight, yeah. which is a huge accomplishment. Mm-hmm. But even your own personal acts that you've done have ranged the spectrum of creativity um you know everything from like like sea monkey right sea Mm -hmm. monkey with bedazzled vajayjay to like giving birth to tiny person on stage Mm -hmm. practically to like all of these really innovative cool ideas um so for me it's it's so inspiring to see you flourish from that perceived rejection. Side note, curious, mm-hmm. what's your favorite or most memorable act that you've ever created? Um, I'd have to say it would be the most interesting journey with an act would probably be my parasitical twin act because um, I don't know if you're familiar with that one, but it's like based on, um, I, I'm very, I feel very, um, uh, identify or with sideshow like performers because they're kind of considered outcasts and they had, had to create their own community mm-hmm. you know and through whether it was like disability or you know physical appearance so there was like a famous like f- um sideshow performer Myrtle Corbain and there was a famous photograph of her where she's sitting like on a chair and her legs are kind of spread and it's Victorian time and she's wearing like the typical striped, you know, the lace-up boots and stri- the typical striped stockings of the time. And then there's like a tiny identical legs in between her legs, um, you know, because it's a parasitical twin, but she has them like in the little lace-up boots and the stockings. And it was something about her pose that, you know, it was like kind of like a no fucks given kind of photograph. And then I like thought, like, I really wanted to make an act um, with uh, based on her and her appearance and about and have the little legs, you know, and have them tap dance to like uh, um, Scott Joplin's The Entertainer <laughs> and have it, you know, and I, and, I ha- and the little sh- like I had a doll maker. Um, I had a doll maker friend like that's from the states. Make me the legs. They work like a marionette. So the the puppetry is in the skirt. So you like move the skirt around and the legs tap dance. They have little taps on them and they tap in tune to the music. That's so um, brilliant. I love that act. But when I first d- did it, it met with crickets. Like it really, people were just like, what? Like they're just it was because you know at that time it was like, and I, I found this very limiting for me. It's just. And though I, I do appreciate the very classic burlesque, I started out doing that. I felt it very limiting. I had to kind of go off on my own mm-hmm. sort of neoism or whatnot. But yeah, that act was really like met with like a lot of like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> like you don't like, get it. Like I did it at a couple of festivals and it was just like, I remember I did it at like Vancouver's Vancouver Burlesque Festival and it was so quiet. I'm like, oh my God. And then when I came backstage, one of the other performers was like, oh, I thought you were going to do your pink fan act. I'm like, wow (laughs) however now like flash forward that's that act is probably my most requested it's got me like um uh, sponsorship with like hendrix gin and things like that like that is my most requested act now it's awesome yeah so it's totally turned you know that's why i think that's one of my favorite just because of 
the sort of like um, sentimentality about that one photograph, like and the impact it had on me, you know. That's so neat that delivery from a photograph into this really cool, unique mm-hmm. act. Now, I, I mean, I love that act. It's something that just, it, it's one of those things you like didn't know you needed in your life until you saw it. And you're like, mm-hmm. wow, this is so cool. I'm so happy that this exists. Yeah, it makes people happy. Now, but it's funny because it just like maybe 10 years ago or so, it wasn't really understood. <laughs> mm-hmm. well, what does burlesque mean to you? Um, burlesque is to, you know, to take something and sort of uh, amplify. I know like the, the real meaning of burlesque is like, it's like to parody. It's a parody. It's to make fun of. Mm. But for me, it's sort of more to amplify something like is to take an idea and to kind of like run with it and make it like, you know, like a hundred percent weirder. <laughs> <laughs> I like and that. And still be sexy. Cause it, you know, if you're not, if, it, if it's, not sexy, you're not doing it right. So it still has, it's got to like, kind of like, you know, check a few boxes. It's got to be sexy. It's got to be kind of funny. It should be a little bit uncomfortable too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like all those things. No, that's fair. And I mean, I know from my exposure to the burlesque scene and even just like witnessing social media and action, uh, there are a lot of burlesque and cabaret performers sort of to connect the dots, who seem to be very anti-sex worker. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll make comments like, oh, I, I'm a burlesque dancer. Not I'm a not stripper. a stripper. And like that type of thing. But quite frankly, I, I mean, I see them as being harmonious. And oh, yeah. They're sisters. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. What's your commentary to I've that always like from the get go felt that was part of my agenda because when I was stripping, it was like, it was not the way it is now with sex work. It, you really didn't, it really was looked down upon. You, like, I couldn't really tell a lot of people. Funny enough, like domination, like being a dominatrix always had a sort of cachet of glamour. Stripping at that point in time didn't. And my parents have been mostly sub- like pretty supportive, I'd say, as far as parents goes with what I've done. But they were more concerned about the stripping than the dominate like being a dominatrix really why i think my mom just thought i was like she didn't like my mom knows what i do but she doesn't like she doesn't like think about the finer details of it she kind of has her in her head what she wants to believe even though she knows so (laughs) i think with stripping that you were out there in the public doing these things but with um domination bdsm fetish work you're behind closed doors there is a misconception that you aren't, it's not sexual, but that's untrue. Like, cause you know, there's all kinds of different things that fall under the spectrum of, of sexual services with domination. So there is, there is sexual contact. And so that's like, that's a total, and I've met a lot of girls that tell their partners or family that they're a dominatrix and not a, like a full service sex worker. Cause they feel it's safer and more accepted. But it's like they people don't like the general public maybe doesn't are not aware that body worship is a big part of like um, professional domination, which is you know there can be you know a lot of nude contact, water sports type you know things. There's there's a lot of things that fall under things that people are not really aware of. And sorry, what what is what is body worship? Like, just for um, people who don't know. Okay, so yeah. like would be like the most common thing would be like foot fetish. Okay, which you know, but then there would be also be like you know face sitting Mm -hmm. and that's very intimate 
you know, and there's usually like, I mean, you can be facing on someone like fully up with a latex outfit on, or you can be facing on someone completely nude. So there is a lot of contact and there, like, you know, there's also, you know, even dominatrixes look down on full service sex workers, but there is a way, there is a way and, and you know, every, women know this, there's a way to administer a sexual act in a dominant fashion, whether it be a blowjob or just standard, you know, intercourse. Mm-hmm. You can still administrate that in a dominant fashion. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a misconception. But yeah, like what I'm saying was the stripping was kind of like looked, it, it was kind of, un, I didn't, I wasn't open about it when I started mm-hmm. doing because it, it was looked down upon. And um, yeah, so it was, even when I came into burlesque, it was like, made me really uncomfortable that people were saying that because it's like burlesque was stripping like Mm -hmm. that is what and it was considered risque and illegal and you know and all these things like when it was like you know in its golden age Mm -hmm. so i keep on moving away from the microphone there no no Um, (laughs) but yeah so that was it it just it just changed through the years like the language or the or the actual performance change, but they were, it was the same thing. So it really made me uncomfortable when people were like, I'm not a stripper. It's like, yeah, you are. You're taking your clothes off for money. You're not <laughs> making maybe as much. I was going to say, you don't really make much money. But <laughs> you are taking your clothes off for money. You are supposed to be titillating. It is called teasing. So, you know, it, they're not that far removed. From each other so that that kind of language really bothered it's to this day it still bothers me mm-hmm. that you know it's like it you know it's 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 in the parameter like it's like a broader thing whatever it's not you know it's not like you know and, and i'm also against people like sex workers that look down on street prostitution like that mm-hmm. bothers me too it's like you don't know what you know what happened to this person or what means or maybe they're fine you don't know mm-hmm. maybe they have no pimp maybe they have a good pimp but who's for you to judge like you know but there is that like, i call it the hoarchy the hoarchy <laughs> 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 oh my god i actually really like that because that's you know that's how other people like that it's, it's common for other workers to look down on certain types of service other service workers yeah, I um, when I was doing a bit of research about like sex work legislation and in Canada as an example, there was um, quite a few cases that came up, and there was some quotes that popped up. Um, one from Natasha Fall or Fale, and she's a former sex worker, and she mentioned, in her opinion, she said, I don't know where she got the statistic from. She's like, ninety-seven percent of prostitutes are not engaging in prostitution by choice. And they become very conditioned as that such. And uh, like hearing what you're sharing, I mean, this seems to go in direct conflict. I know. Of, I mean, of there that. is like oppression, but there's oppression in other jobs. Yeah. There's oppression in, you know, in like great oppression in in clothing manufacturing mm-hmm. you know there's like all kinds of you know like almost every job has some tier of being prostituted in that sense um i can say uh 100 that my staff in my two locations about 14 given 14 to 16 staff members everyone that is there because they want to be there you know and um and yes traffic all this these bad things exist but they exist you know, and all kinds of different like jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, you could have a bad partner that's forcing you to go to work to support their bad habits. That's still pimping. If you know, if you if you have some, you know, 
a partner maybe who has a bad uh, drug problem that is like forcing you to go to work to support their problems that is mm -hmm. you know also like that's pimping in my opinion no you're totally right i mean and there's a lot of people you're talking about having a job against one's choice there's a mm -hmm. lot of people yeah. who work very boring corporate jobs and they're miserable, and they're miserable. exactly we get some of our clients come in and they're just like they're they're so so miserable about their like corporate jobs that mm -hmm. you know and then they're in a better economic bracket than most, but they're absolutely miserable, miserable, you know, and a lot of people are living a lot, especially you'll find that more in sort of BDSM, they might be living a lie that their partner doesn't understand, like either they, the partner doesn't understand their fetish or they're not forthcoming about their fetishes or their desires because they can't for whatever reason. So they are living lies, like, so they're miserable too, like it's, you know, it's across the board. It's not just sex work. There's all kinds of different things, you know, occupations. Mm -hmm. that and, I mean, and that's where, I mean, I see sex work as being such a necessary job because for many people in this world, this is their safe space. This is mm -hmm. the place where they don't receive judgment by right. people in their life, where they can express themselves fully and be their real selves mm -hmm. so and you know many marriages like you know uh i've talked to a lot of my clients and they have not had any like sexual relationships with their partners for maybe 20 plus years wow but they still like can like function you know like it's not like completely miserable it was just that part, that aspect of it's not being taken care of like they can still be fine be each other's best friends mm -hmm. you know run their household you know go to do their jobs and everything else is fine it's just that that level of intimacy is no longer there anymore you know so there's that too right mm -hmm. yeah and you know unless you're sort of like an asexual type person i mean mm -hmm. most of us need some degree yeah. of intimacy and physical touch to mm -hmm. feel fulfilled and feel happy right we can talk ourselves out of it really mm -hmm. really nicely many people do but at your core you're you're not getting fulfilled yeah Okay, well, this is an awesome conversation. I want to make sure we can get through some of these questions. <laughs> I still have, I have so many questions to ask you. I feel like we've been talking for hours. But uh, question five is, who or what inspires you the most? Um, I think, originally it was my grandmother. Like, I don't, I didn't touch on this when I was talking about how I got into this. But my grandmother, like, uh, she was a model a catalog model and she was like from France, like South of France. And she immigrated with her career to Boston and became, and, and uh, was a catalog department store model in New York, uh, predominantly Saks Fifth Avenue. She was very wow. eccentric um, in her attitudes about women and sexuality. And she was kind of, like how somewhat so? untamable force like it was it was definitely a matriarch situation going on uh-huh um she's the one that got me into all these old hollywood movies she mm -hmm. also had gone to many burlesque shows and knew like some of these legends and like my name and she knew like how they dressed what they did what they wore how they walked and she would demonstrate this stuff to me when i was really young like, Go grandma. Um, <laughs> I mean, some people would be like, oh, shame my on grandma. Mom sometimes but... <laughs> would, my, my parents are hippies. Yeah. Were. Uh, my mom sometimes would be like, uh, like she, my, I know my mom thought some of her behavior was, was like a bit 
inappropriate, but it didn't really go too far off left field. But there was mm-hmm. some, like, you know, she, sometimes she'd buy me these crazy negligees like for Christmas. And my mom would like, my mom would not put it under the tree. She'd be like, after my other more conservative grandmother and family would leave, <laughs> my mom was like, um, Granny got you this. <laughs> like, it's like the R rated present yeah. time. That's fun. And I'm like, that's great. <laughs> so, this is way better than socks. Yeah. <laughs> and she was just very like dramatic. I, and I don't, looking back, I, I think that she, I wouldn't say that my grandmother, but there was probably some incident. I got this sense that there was some incidents where my grandmother was kind of, working <laughs> like, yeah. i don't know like she had many like she talked about all these gentlemen friends like whatnot i i don't know but there might have been more sort of like you know kind of like more of the sugaring situation like where like extravagant gifts were exchanged for uh-huh. things i really got this sense that this was going on from an early age and she kind of like made me watch not made me because i wanted to do it watch we'd watch these like old hollywood movies together and stuff like that so she was definitely inspiration as far as that that went and i got it in my head to like throw a strip uh tease like like a whole performance in a friend's backyard when i was eight <laughs> and um you know choreographed the whole thing charged admission and my my mom and my mom and dad were kind of like bemused by it but a little bit kind of like having to they're worried about having to sort of like uh damage control the rest of the neighborhood oh. but they thought it was kind of funny and my grandma was like my mom was like where in the world did you get that idea like what are you know i'm like granny and my dad's like knew it when in doubt blame granny yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right so there was that going on so she was like a big influence like, you know important to me and also like terry jean bedford was very important and she's you know very like because I worked for her a number of years. I'm very close to her and her family. She really created a family atmosphere, which is something that maybe doesn't exist much in sort of like uh, working in these types of houses or whatnot. But she really created a family environment. And obviously her trailblazing as far as like being an advocate and taking the Supreme Court of Canada to task about prostitution um, like 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 say uh, sorry rules and like like say so I can tongue tied right now but anyway taking the Supreme Court of Canada to like task on prostitution rules rights. and regulations rules and regulations yeah I know it's hard to say <laughs> was, yeah so anyway um I really admire her a lot like she's very strong and uh, intelligent and interesting woman so I'm really like uh, I feel like privileged that I got to work with her for the sort of last five years of her professional life mm-hmm. it's interesting uh, all the sex workers whom i know they're all very much that they're mm-hmm. all very intelligent interesting driven very layered people mm-hmm. and i'm like man i don't i don't understand why there's so much stigma <laughs> because it's you know it's it's the oldest profession the most frowned upon pro- you know profession and there is a lot of bad things that you know exploitation and stuff that are attached to it Sure. Yeah. But when done appropriately with the right kind of management mm-hmm. and safety, and that's why I, I never understood the whole the whole version to legalization and regulation of something like this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The more safe and acceptable it is, because it's going to exist one way or another. This is where like yeah. SESTA FOSTA has failed. Yes. Dramatically. Let's talk about Fosta. <laughs> do, do you mind um, defining it at a high level for our listeners or? Um, I'm not sure. Okay. 
It's the Stop Enabling the Sex Traffickers Act and the Fight Online Sex Traffickers right. Act. I had to write this mm-hmm. down. <laughs> <laughs> I'd never remember it. No, no, same here. <laughs> um, it came out of the U.S., right. correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In Trump's, I think it was starting to happen before Trump actually came into power. But the worst, like the most, like the it's so badass backwards because you know one of the like the first thing you know has been online and one of the first things that went, was shut down was Backpage and which was one of the most like internationally used classifieds for finding sex workers and, and, and Backpage is an online website yeah and the, and the um the FBI shut it down um because you know people were being trafficked on it this is a reality however. It is a tool to find to find traffickers, and they got rid of it. Like even like, I, I watch these doc- documentaries, and I'm just like, for the first five minutes, I'm like, yeah, you found them through like you found that girl through looking at Backpage. Now you got rid of it. Great, you know right. that. It sorry infuriates me. Like it's like for good or bad. It's that you know that tool is like it was also a safe way for like people to screen you know and it put a lot of workers on the street that couldn't like you know advertise anymore we're bricks and mortar so it's you know we had a good reputation and we didn't suffer that much but I saw a lot of my independent like independent sex workers suffering because they didn't have that platform anymore but it's just mind-boggling it's like that how do you have to be hit over the head even harder to realize that that's how you that tool is mm-hmm. how you found these girls that were runaways and being like, you know, trafficked or, you know, pimped out and you got rid of it. Good one. Thanks. Right. <laughs> but it's also like attacking certain other things like, you know, it's the trickle down effect of that too, which is also damaging. Like, you know, where like, you know, like for example, like different things like, you know, paypal like my free cam you know my free cams like you know cam modeling stuff and things have like in patreon and all these other sort of things that people are making money or being like shut down websites and whatnot and it's forced what it does is it forces like a certain percentage of women out on the street where they will be unsafe and they will be pimped out and it's creating more of a problem than you know solving it which is like infuriating to me so Websites like PayPal and things like that, they are no longer completing if transactions. If they're, if they're for- like connected to certain types of, it's like, it's still like, a, like, it's not happening. Like some things have been shut down, but it's a very, it's a slow process. Like certain right. people's Patreon accounts, even like a friend of mine, she had her, for example, she had, she was a MyFreeCams um, model, very successful. And she had a lot of her stuff archived in Google Docs. Mm-hmm. And those got um, deleted. So even Google, like, you know. Because like, they think the content is. It, yeah, for pay. You know, it's like a. Like it, it goes against the SESTA-FOSTA exactly, regulation. Because, yeah. I, like, it, it goes a bit too far for me. I mean, I mean, SESTA-FOSTA, like, I, I, I get it. I think it's important work for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. But. I think if someone is really hell-bent on trafficking, they have their own language. They yeah. have their own ways of being mm-hmm. able to do this. They have the dark web. There's a lot of ways mm-hmm. that people that are hell-bent on causing trouble can still cause yes. trouble. So it's still going on. Yeah. It's still going on. And in fact, it's created a bigger problem. Right. So yeah, it's I'm quite angry about that. 
No, that's that's ridiculous. Um, in your opinion, what would make sex work a safer or better experience? Well, obviously, like working in an established like like house, you know, or a residency mm-hmm. um, would help a lot because then you have like the you know the safety and numbers factor. You're not outside, like you know, and trying to like navigate things on your own. So, like working in sort of the like community or work like a safe workplace is definitely you know good for mm-hmm. like everyone like, like so everyone feels safe for and working like so there's a lot of people that you know even like indie's rough because you have to screen love you know there's a lot of screening of the clients to figure out their you know because you're going to like an unknown address i've done that as well before i've had like, i've never done it like so in i was i worked through escort agencies so i had a driver that knew to pick me up whatnot a little bit different but when you're working with outside of an agency you're like you know you're relying on i like to think like my indie friends become a buddy system like where they're Mm -hmm. like okay i'm going to this address and i'll be out an x amount of time and i'll message you when i'm out so there is like the buddy system but Mm -hmm. you know it's it is better to have like you know where things are you know if you feel safe like it is better with like environments like mine whatever that like I said, some people never leave that. Like some people think they can go go to Indies like they've created enough clientele base. There's some people that never want to leave because they feel better working in a place with a you know a different you know a manager, and a few girls and whatnot. They feel much more comfortable that way. Mm-hmm. Do you require identification when a client comes to see you? No. Oh. No. Um. If we did. And I know with certain indie independent screening that they do a bit more, we wouldn't get that walk in. Like it wouldn't happen. It would mm-hmm. we'd lose a lot of business? But it's because you know they are on camera. You know they have to walk into our building. Mm-hmm. There are like you know three to four staff members on at any given time, so that you know you don't have to do the heavy screening that mm-hmm. you would do if you're independent like sex worker. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm even thinking like the dispensary model kind of in my head mm. too. It's like- These guys would not- They wouldn't come through. Want to show yeah. their ID. Mm. They'll have like, you know, most of them have fake names, not all of them, but a lot of them, you know, have a fake name. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. What are some of it like- John. <laughs> John, of course, of course. It's all the, it's, it's all the disciples. That's all the- <laughs> That's what Perfect. I always say. Perfect. That's hilarious. <laughs> so I use the disciples' names. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. When in doubt, Jesus. <laughs> All right. There has been a, a few Jesus. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> but it's usually like John, Paul, Peter, you know, Michael, Greg, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> that's awesome. At least they're covered. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're aware of that, but I make fun of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's great. That's awesome. Okay, question six. What is the most adventurous thing you have ever done? In, in this realm? It can be life. It doesn't have to be sex work. Um, since we're talking about this topic, I'm having a hard time kind of like making my brain like leave this sort of this, <laughs> this realm. I feel like you've had such an interesting life though. You've done so many things. You're so punk rock too. I know, but I just sort of take that stuff for granted. Like it just kind of <laughs> is, you know. <laughs> I know, I know. But you're like average people, average boring people. Don't don't live it that is, life. Is so I don't know. Like, um, uh, I don't know. Like, um, you know, some of my burlesque stuff have given me like kind of interesting things. Like, you know, having uh, the honor of like performing like in the desert for this exotic 
world pageant when it used to be in Helldale, California on a goat farm. That was kind of a highlight <laughs> of my life. Amazing. Like, um, be able to tour across Canada several times as a burlesque performer is definitely a highlight. Um, and, and it's just like, I've always sort of been in, like, involved with certain subcultures, mostly sort of the predominantly like the punk and skateboarding like communities. Um, I mean, we did all kinds of crazy things. I don't really think that's just the way it was. <laughs> like, it just <laughs> is. Um, what what type of things would you do? Like, can you describe a little bit about the punk and skate scene? I mean, it's always a, sort of about more or less the music. Like, um, you know, I mean, it is a way of probably not so much now, but a way of channeling like sort of like teen angst. Mm. You know, like the, the aggression of like, you know, the pit or whatnot. And um, like uh, also like sort of the identity, like the, I don't know, the fashion's always been sort of attracted to me, you know, attractive. I mean, it has a, a cachet of sort of like juvenile delinquency. I'm way past that. I'm like senior punk now. <laughs> <laughs> like, but I don't know. That sort of like renegade behavior has always been like attractive to me, you know, attractive to me. Um, I don't know. It's just like recently, like, um, one of the, uh, people I got to work with in the early days in the nineties, like we used to make a lot of money, like used to make 500 bucks an hour. It's a dominatrix. That is like, it's not even close anymore. Oh, wow. But it used to be like crazy. Um, and I had way too much money and way too much freedom and would, you know, would go to New York and like work in these insane, like elaborate, um, dungeons you know like the business the financial district of new york uh you know they were just completely kicked out like luxurious like really wealthy men and i'm in a in a young age and uh yeah it was one of the w women i worked with actually just passed a couple of days ago so it was quite sad she was very like because not only was she like uh worked she was a switch you know like where she like she would like play like top or play bottom mm -hmm. but she was also very involved in sort of like the like the punk rock scene in new york and she's actually like the thing that she like was instrumental with is i think called coney island high in new york and that is sort of the prototype for like pussy whip wednesday it's like this show i do at the bovine so it's just like anything goes crazy rock and roll club it was more of a clubhouse mm -hmm. than a club night um so like yeah going doing these like i would fly to new york all the time he's like also there was a place in prague called the other world kingdom which was in a castle in prague and i worked out there for a week wow it's insane they had their own currency this is like wealthy men's playtime wow in this castle in prague that had like you you basically sign your life away for whatever whether it be a weekend or a week and there's different levels and you couldn't really get out like you could if you really wanted to, but when you were kind of like locked in and it could be just sort of like a more of a mild, you know, you could go to, you know, bed in a nice little suite in the castle after all of this like activity was played out for you or you could sleep in a stable or you could sleep in like a cold, wet dungeon, you know, like, wow. so it's different tiers of things. So I guess like having to, to, to have the privilege of doing these crazy like things at a young age, like these 
sort of object wealth was just and coming from like very like you know street level punk rock and like being put in these situations was kind of like very interesting yeah it, <laughs> also like having friendships with celebrities like on that were you know it was like you know a transit you know financial transaction but also developing like finding yourself in a suite with like some like a-list celebrity and your friends like you're like how did I get here? <laughs> can, can you name names or? Uh, I, I'd rather not. Right, that's fine. Yeah. That's fine. <laughs> I'm friends with still some of them. No, no, that's fair. I could tell you after. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I want to hear after, yeah. after recording. Um, in, in some of these really cool places, New York and Prague, were you seeked out or did you like find out about them and say like, hey, I'm a dumb. Um, as far as like the Prague one, I, I knew about it and I asked, I was traveling and I asked if, I could like, cause they, dominatrix is allowed to stay for free. Mm -hmm. So if you had any kind of like reputation on some level that you could prove that you were actively working, whatnot, there was like a thing called like the domination directory international. And I was a part of that. So if you were part of that, you could like stay there for free. So I was doing that, I guess. And I would have been about 30 years old, I guess when I went to Prague and did that. That's so cool. Yeah, and it was so it's, it was so weird. I'm like, this is like something. I feel like I'm like the, on the prisoner or something. This is weird. <laughs> like it, it wasn't until I went to like go to bed at night. I'm like, where the hell am I? <laughs> yeah, because yeah, yeah. like, it was like twenty four seven, like living like in that kind of like female superiority environment. <laughs> right. No, I can only imagine. Mm, it was very surreal. Oh man! I think they went bankrupt, but you can look them up. They have a, they have a wiki entry. <laughs> yeah, still some. F I had I still kept all their paper ephemera because it was so fascinating. I still have it all. Oh man, what an experience! So that was definitely a high point and very interesting. Yeah, that's. I would say that's pretty damn adventurous. <laughs> I feel so boring in comparison. Man, that's so cool. But that kind of stuff doesn't so. Ex I mean, that was the glory days. Like. It doesn't exist on that like level right. anymore so much. I mean, there's there's certain parties. There, I, I'm aware of certain sort of like high level parties. We've been trying to do one here, but it's sort of like can't seem to. Like, I was just coming in as a host, so the financial backing is someone else, and it just seems like it can't get off the ground. <laughs> yeah. Well, you were saying that the the like the price of a dom, like the hourly yeah. rate, has severely decreased. It used to be mm -hmm. like five hundred dollars yeah, an hour. Yeah, it was five hundred. It was three fifty, and they kept on going down. And Why? Down. You would think it would it, go the other direction. I, it's just like, you know. Well, I would say like things changed dramatically after nine eleven, and also the sort of like right around nine eleven also is when the sort of the internet boom happened too. Mm. So those two things like there was less travel. All of a sudden, there was less American clientele. Mm. All of a sudden, things are more accessible because of the internet, mm. you know. And you don't like the sort of what I call the fine houses of BDSM don't exist so much anymore like they used to. Like there was several in Toronto, and the only one like there's a few ones, but I won't say that there's scale of Patricia Marsh's place like that. Th that high end thing doesn't exist anymore. Like I will not put the crazy outfits on I used to for like the amount of money they pay me for an hour anymore. It's like you know, <laughs> you want me like put like latex outfit on my body? You're gonna pay extra. <laughs> it sounds I, like a lot of work. Yeah, <laughs> utility dress and heels. I call it. <laughs> I'm wearing this. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Ah, all right. Question seven is what do you attribute your success to? Um, I think it's just sort of like trying to, I think it's like being open-minded and also trying to like, you know, finding that sort of like some uh, something to advocate for. Like, you know, it's like that something to believe in, which is always, it comes from the punk ethos too, right? It's like you have like believing in an alternative like state of government and sort of believing in, you know, something that's alternative. I think that, and also because I said like our, our branding has been very, we're like the only ones that have this particular, I've seen other people doing it, but we've been doing it longer this sort of like alt girl kind of thing so that's been like successful and it's funny because like sometimes the clients don't even like because we're in a very ups we're like the our head office is like in forest hill so it's a very like you know well healed like you know uh client sometimes they don't even know what our branding is they just come because it's convenient for them <laughs> <laughs> they seem comfortable with it. Yeah, why not? It's like, it's, we always laugh. It's like, do you get any with anybody without any tattoos? And I'm like, <laughs> you mean less than me? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it's kind of, that's kind of what our branding is and it works for us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, mm-hmm. ah, it's fine. Yeah. You, won't, you won't notice. It's fine. Mm-hmm, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fair. Um, all right. Well, question eight is what item or items could you never live without? Um, Don't say sea sponge. No, but. <laughs> um, red lipstick and my kitty collars. <laughs> um, I mean, that sounds like so. I like, and also like, you know, there's like, obviously I, I need my red lipstick, <laughs> but, um, I need books. I need to have certain books around me, you know, things like, this is funny. Cause this whole Marie Kondo thing, like if it doesn't like spark joy, get rid of it. We're always making fun of that at work, <laughs> but, um, you know, there's some things you, even though they're not exactly like completely functional, you need them around you. It's just like, I like having my library because actually I was like cleaning it, you know, dusting some stuff off today. It's like, oh, I like this. It's a nice book and blah, blah, blah. And when I, when I was like looking for um, some zines that I was talking about this woman that passed away recently. Um, I was trying to, I you know, had these zines that she was featured in and I could find them easily and dust them off and look at them. And, you know, that was really nice to have like that there was some kind of like physical because we don't have a lot of physical evidence of things anymore. Like, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, you're, it's in a cloud. Your phone's going to die, then it's gone. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have things that are tangible so much anymore. Mm-hmm. So those those spark joy. <laughs> Fuck you, Marie Kondo. Yeah, why not? No, mm-hmm. no, it's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you reading anything in particular right now or anything that is something you tend to go back to? Um. Yeah, because I always approach, okay, I didn't touch anything on this, but it's, um, I'm reading a book right now and I have to look up the author, but um, it's about a cult and rock and roll. And I, cool. It, whether it be burlesque or sex work, I always like think of things in sort of an alchemical ritual way. Mm-hmm. So um, that kind of thing is important to me. Like, um, I like reading about, like feminine archetypes in art and literature and stuff like that. That's kind of like one of my little, like, I like feminine evil. <laughs> I want to awesome. know about things like, you know, like 
with you know depictions in art and popular culture like that kind of stuff so that's kind of like one of my like reading hobbies that's awesome any examples that inspire you um predominantly it would be turn of the century archetypes like you know and this comes down like the you know the wanton woman hence the prostitute mm-hmm. you know the the witch you know like the the like the the you know mother maiden crone like the that kind of stuff um it's interest but yeah it's, i tend to like things mostly from turn of the century whether it be art or literature that's all because i have an art history background so that's kind of stuff i'm still you know and that stuff has always been critiqued it's always been critiqued like even when it came out it was you know critiqued is it like bad depictions and then you know i went to art college and you know before there was like post you know like post post feminism and that stuff was looked down upon but i'm like i love it i love it so much like why is it being like disregarded like so yeah that kind of stuff (laughs) No, I think that's awesome. And honestly, I think feminism is all about embracing who you are and who you want to be, regardless of what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as soon as you try to oppress o- other women who are striving to be that, I think that's inherently against what feminism right. should be all about. And like a lot of like, um, you know, in history, a lot of witches were prostitutes. Like, you know, those were the healers. Like, you know, whether mm-hmm. it be like, um, medicinal or like therapeutic like you know that's kind of like so I was I identify as a witch so yeah that kind of thing it's important to me that's so cool that's amazing and I also look at burlesque that way too really and it's sort of like when I develop an act it sort of comes into this is very egghead but anyway, <laughs> it sort of like goes into sort of a ritual like what that's sort of like what my like my um influences are like it's sort of like it's a cult and also and you know music based and also kind of like also high fashion too is something that i'm my day to go to developing an act right yeah no i always see you posting really amazing images of things that are so inspirational or so edgy and interesting like just visually different mm-hmm. than what one would expect when someone say thinks about say classic burlesque yeah. or seems to fit into a very neat and tidy box like you always push the envelope which well, I like really with admire. Punk, I'm growing up punk rock like the sort of gender lines real are much more blurred like mm-hmm. women had a really strong place in punk which they probably didn't have another sort of types of music like they and the sort of and the imagery was very highly sexualized because it came out of like it came out of like a bdsm like queer culture so that whole imagery was very attractive to me. Mm-hmm. So that's probably why I gravitated towards punk. And that trickles down to into everything else as well. Right. That's the kitty collars and the yeah. red lipstick. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. What's your favorite red lipstick right now? I'm always um, looking for something new. Funny enough, it used to always was like Mac Russian red, but mm-hmm. I kind of like uh, like the Sephora lip cream. Like they're they're cheap and they're good. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good. That's what I'm wearing now. <laughs> Amazing. As long as it has good staying yeah, power, exactly. I'm happy. Done. Oh, is it blowjob worthy? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's important in my work. That's it. And I always have this habit of like coming into the office like after a session and I'm making some grand proclamation and I have like blowjob face. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> 
I always have to look. I'm like, don't go in there and make some grand statement. You yeah. like lipstick all over your chin. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's important. It's mm-hmm. very important, yeah. even for the rest of us. Mm-hmm. It's so important. <laughs> yeah, sex workers should test lipstick. <laughs> that's it. Seriously, though, that's mm-hmm. true. That'd be like a good side yeah. hustle or like <laughs> right? promotional affiliation. Mm-hmm. I know. Sephora, get on this. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Give me your discounts. <laughs> right? Agreed. Agreed. Okay. Question nine. Is there anything you'd like to promote? Websites, brands, anything? Um, actually, Pussy Whip Wednesday, the um, uh, rock and roll, I think, goes strip show is celebrating its five-year anniversary next Wednesday at the Bovine, which in club years is a long time. <laughs> That's awesome. This might air after it, but mm-hmm. it's still going to be running. Oh, yeah. It's, it's usually <laughs> um, twice a month, sometimes three times. But it's like definitely an all... It's like an all-girls, like Russ Meyer, Cramps influence. Like, it's definitely a crazy girl gang night. <laughs> it's a fun time. You guys throw a nice party. Yeah, it, it's you know it's self-serving. It's for us. It's for the performance. It's definitely industry and it's it, it's all inclusive. Like it's anything, you know, like I said, it's open to anybody, any level performer of any gender, any, you know, as long as you want to be a little weird, it's open to you. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Anything else you want to promote? Um, I know you have the printing company. Oh, yeah. Sailors and Sluts is the name of my print, my T-shirt printing company. Um, I started with another uh, woman that I work with. Um, and uh, her, well, I'm spacing on her name, Brie Daniels. That's her, her working name, Brie Daniels. I started with her, actually. This is funny. I had like a a sugar daddy that is practical. And so he brought, he bought me the, the t-shirt operation <laughs> not any fine lingerie or chocolates for you you know for me he but you know he's like you can you know you know how to use this like equipment like you have a, I have a background in design so anyway he bought me the whole thing <laughs> and so now we're like um utilizing that and it's called sailors and sluts because i'm a slut and he's a sailor sailors make lots of money so just don't hang out in the business district because sailors where the money are <laughs> <laughs> That's so interesting. So he's like, literally, he's like, here, have some equipment, make a business. Like that's, that's yeah. Wow. Because <laughs> he, he wanted some t-shirts and he was alarmed at the pricing. It's <laughs> 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 like, just buy this. You know how to use this. So that, anyway, so he's the, the sailor in the name, and we, we weren't sure about calling it that. We were like making fun of it, like, and then like, actually, it's not so bad. So, and the tagline is in business before Christ. <laughs> Because sailors and sluts existed before Christ. That's hilarious. <laughs> so that's where the name comes from. So yeah, we do like, and but you know, I thought the name would be limiting, and it's not. We've done stuff for Cirque du Soleil. We've done things for the Discovery Channel. Um, the name has people just kind of laugh at it. Yeah, so, but your good. prices are good. Your product yeah. is great. Mm-hmm. Done deal. Yeah, so that's what we do when we're not doing the other, the other, <laughs> the other stuff. Yeah, yeah. your downtime, your right. downtime. Um, and then anything for you personally that you want to promote. I think that's the main things, you know, like we've got Biblical Burlesque coming up in April. I can't, I have to look at the date. It's Sinful Sundays and that we've been doing a long time. Um, and uh, I don't know. I can't think of anything else. No, no, that's <laughs> good. The, the um, and speaking of promotion, like when I was doing research on you, like you, 
you've been all over and you've been featured in so many incredible forums. But the one that always makes me laugh is you were on the Tom Green show. And I'm sure this has come up a few times. But how did that come up? Like, how did you end up on the Tom Green show of all places? Um, I used to like work for an agency that uh, was like a party promotion. And uh, you know how they kind of like we were, I used to be a go-go dancer. Like I still am, I guess. Mm-hmm. But um, I worked with a bunch of, a, a group of go-go dancers like that were kind of like, a, quite a few of them worked from Electric Circus. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I miss Electric Circus. <laughs> oh, I used to so love watching that. when there was an event, they wanted like girls to, you know, their dance and to like, you know, look a certain way. So I worked for this company, like they would, and I was in charge of hiring the talent, the girls to dance myself, you know, and I also had like a, a I wrapped a latex company called Skin2 that's based out of the UK, which is actually where the Skin Taito site burlesque troupe name comes from. Um, because we, when we started, we used to like wear latex and I always thought the name was really stupid, but I couldn't get rid of it. So oh. that's where it came from because the company was called Skin Two Latex. I never knew that. That's why. <laughs> that's so cool. There's nothing to. It's not like we're a bunch of hard bodies or not, but that's where the name came from. And it, it just became went on for too long for me to change it. Right. So this was sort of the genesis of that. So we were like basically pretty girl filler for these like uh, a lot of like movie like parties, like you know, uh, cast parties, like after parties, whatever. So it was. Um, the party was first the Studio Fifty Four movie uh, with Mark Wahlberg and a f- and um, Mike, My- you know, um, it was the Austin Powers guy, Mike Meyer. Yeah. Anyway, so it was like the after party, like the you know the big industry party for that. And my boss is like, she always like, who should we like invite? Like you know, she like has many resources of inviting whoever she wants, whatever. And I'm like. Tom Green, like, and he was still at cable access at that point. But, you know, he comes out of the skate culture, which is where I come from. Mm-hmm. So I was already well-versed um, in that. And she's like, who? So I lent her the VHS of, like, the Rogers show. And she, like, <laughs> loved it. She thought it was really funny. And incidentally, he was working on something, like, in Toronto. And she got in touch with his agent. And she sent over a bunch of, like, his favorite things and and sent a photograph of me and whatnot. And uh, his agent said, yeah, he'll go, but um, can he be her, can he be her date? And that's how that happened. Really? (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. And then we became friends after that. That's awesome. That's so cool. Yeah, and so, yeah, we just, he was very quiet, which is weird. I guess like he, there's like the Tom Green that's the, you know, the persona. And then the, yeah, yeah, and he was very shy. And I kept bugging him and stuff. And his agent was like, well, you should go on, you know, you should come on his show. And so that's all that happened. And then they, like, they paid for me to, like, spend the weekend out there and to film, like, his like uh, cable access show when we came from. We were first all friends. <laughs> that's <laughs> so, so that's how it happened, yeah. You're like, all right, well, if you're paying my way, why not? Right. And this agent was like, he's terrified of you. <laughs> I've never seen him like this before. That's hilarious. Right. That's like almost an, uh, a compliment. Yeah. For you. Like, good, good. <laughs> so that, yeah, that's how that happened. Oh, that's <laughs> funny. We've friends ever since. That's how, do you still stay in touch? Yes. Oh, really? Yeah. That's so funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I haven't seen, I haven't seen anything that he's been working he on lately. A, he's just a big brother. 
Um, but he does his stand-ups very successful and it comes nice. into Toronto. Like I missed the last time at the time before that I went to, I went and saw him. I think it was at um, Yuck Yucks. Nice. And yeah, I heckled them for a while. <laughs> That's good. As you should. Yes. As a good friend should. Cool. Well, let's wrap up with mm-hmm. question 10, which is what is a lesson you learned the hard way that you'd like to share with our listeners? Hmm. I feel like I kind of may have went through that at some point in this conversation. You've shared a lot. Just like, (laughs) I think like to reiterate just the whole, I think of finding your, you know, like just working with what you have, you know, and creating your brand and not to feel like that you are, you know, less than and just, you know, work with what you got and make it special. Well, you certainly do. And it's been an absolute pleasure to see you grow, to innovate, to mind boggle and absolutely slay it. Thank you so much for being on. It's been a pleasure. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everyone. Find us on Facebook at Legit Lady Podcast. That's L-E-G-I-T-L-A-D-Y Podcast. And on Instagram at Legit Lady Podcast. On Twitter at Legit Lady Pod. That's Legit Lady P-O-D. And please rate and comment on iTunes and anywhere else you get your podcasts. If you love what you hear, share it broadly and proudly. Thanks, everyone.